you'd open your Bibles up today, I want you to go to the book of Hezekiah, chapter 2, verse 15. If you don't know where Hezekiah is, it's right after the book of Hesitations. And it's, we're going to be looking at verse 215, which is right before that verse that says, God helps those who help themselves. And it's right after that verse where it says, God's never going to give you more than you can handle. Now, I say that jokingly, because um, this morning, here's the question I want us to consider. Just how well do we know the Bible? Or even better, how well should we know the Bible? Just how well ought we to know the Bible? How much time ought we to spend studying the Word of God and growing in our knowledge of the Word of God? I had someone ask me a while back, how much must a person know in order to be saved? You know, how much must a person know? How much must they agree to um, for us to think in our minds as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers, that this person knows enough in order to be saved? And I told them, now I, would, I, would, I would say this. This is the bare minimum of what a person must know and must understand in order to be saved. I, I would say, first of all, they must admit their sinfulness. They must realize the fact that there is sin in their life and that that sin has caused a problem in their life. They must believe that there is a God in heaven and He's the God of the Bible. And then his son, Jesus Christ, came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died on a cross, and most importantly, rose from the grave victoriously after three days. And that by doing so, he paid the price of sin for us. He defeated sin and death. They must also believe, I would say, that that death provides their way to salvation, that through, through the resurrection of Jesus, they can be saved, and that Jesus' rightful position in their life is as Savior and Lord. And I would say that they must confess their sin to God. They must confess to God that they are a sinner, to repent of that sin, to ask Jesus to forgive them of their sin and to confess Christ as Lord and Savior. I believe that's the bare minimum of what a person must believe in order to be saved. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. That's all we have to know to be saved. But should we stop there? Is that enough? Is that all that we ever should learn? Should we ever consider that we ought to know more and more of Scripture? Turn over to the book of Acts. Now that book's really there, right? Acts chapter 2. We've been studying this passage. We've been looking at the New Testament church, this church that changed the world. We've looked at worship and how we must commit ourselves to worshiping as a body of believers, as a church each week, that we must commit ourselves to worshiping alone in our devotional lives and with our families. We've talked about growth last week. We talked about how we must grow in relationships with other believers, that we need those relationships. We need to learn the Word together. And today I want us to consider how we must grow in our knowledge of the Word. It says in Acts 2.42, that they devoted themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves. Now, I said this previously, I think it was a few weeks ago, that the apostles' teachings really became, became what are the Gospels. The things that the apostles were teaching to this early church are the things that eventually became Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you read the book of Acts, you will also see that, that Peter and the others, that when they would testify of Jesus Christ, they would always begin with the Old Testament and they would work their way through. They were devoted to knowing the Old Testament scriptures. And we, so we could really say here that a church that changes the world is one that is devoting, devoted to knowing the Bible in whole. Every bit of it. 
that we commit ourselves to learning all this. And so this morning, I want us to consider why we must be devoted to growing in our knowledge of the Word of God, that we ought never be content. Not just be interested in the Bible, not just be somewhat committed to the Bible, not just be casually motivated to grow like every now and then I might learn something new, but we must be devoted to growing in our knowledge of the Word. Four reasons this morning why we should be devoted to knowing the Bible. Number one is that we must be devoted in order to know God. To know God. I want to use some object lessons this morning because that's kind of how my brain works. Several years ago, someone gave us this telescope. And uh, we've had some fun with it out in the backyard with the boys. We'll get it out on a nice clear night and we'll look at the moon um, and whatnot. And, and I got to thinking about that telescope the other day. And just in general, you know, it's remarkable what we have discovered in the past few hundred years in our universe, all because of a telescope. You know, for the thousands of years after God created heaven and the earth, um, we could look up in the sky and with our eyes we could see these things in the sky and they just look like dots of light. But then this telescope came along that allowed us to look into the heavens and to not just see these dots of light, but to know what these things are and to study them. I mean, it, it was 1608 when the telescope was invented, and it took about a year for a man named Galileo to decide to point one at the sky and to begin to look at the sky. And as he did, he began to discover amazing things. He discovered the rings of Saturn, the moons around Jupiter. He discovered sunspots. He discovered that the Earth was part of a galaxy that we now call the Milky Way galaxy. Up until that point, we, really, we didn't know much of these things. But now that these things called telescopes have been invented, we can see all these things that we couldn't see before. We can bring these objects that, were, that are massive, huge, that we could barely know, those things that now, that now because of telescopes, we can know them in detail. We can see everything about them. We can be amazed by the wonder that God created because of this thing called a telescope. You know, much like a telescope, the Word of God brings our God up close. If you think about it, here is this telescope that brings these massive objects like Saturn and Jupiter and these other planets that we never really understood until the past couple hundred years. Now we can see them close. The Word of God, bring, the, Word of God the Bible, the Scripture brings our God up close. Without the Bible, the God of this universe would seem like a distant being that we couldn't know. He would seem beyond our grasp. One that we, we couldn't possibly understand. I mean, how could we as men and women with, with finite minds understand this infinite being that we call God? We can only do so because of the telescope of the Word of God. Because it allows us to see God, to understand God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it tells us that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now think about this for a minute. If someone were to read your writings, they can learn a lot about you, right? Let's say that you wrote letters to people and that hundreds of years from now, someone found those letters, they would probably be able to learn some things about who you are, Correct about the way you lived your life, about what's valuable to you. If someone, a hundred years from now, looked at the things that I've wrote, looked at the sermons I've wrote, looked at the, the notes that I've wrote, the emails I've sent, all these things, they would be able to discover some things about me. 
They would know what's important to me. They would know about the Lord. They would know these things. So it is with Scripture. We're told here that all Scripture is breathed out by God. That God inspired it. He spoke it into existence. And because of that, we can know this God. We can know Him. We can understand Him. When we open the Word of God, we, we find the very person of God. We read of His character, of His holiness, His righteousness, His perfection, His glory, His love, His compassion, His grace, His forgiveness. We also read of His wrath. We read of His justice. We can know of His works. We can know of His actions. We can read what He spoke, what He he declared, what He commanded. In fact, I would tell you that the only way we can come to know God for salvation is through the Word of God. I mean, can we, can we go out into nature and see that God exists as we look at the mountains and as we look at the stars and as we look at the ocean? Yes, we can know that there is a God, but we won't get very far knowing much about this God by simply looking to this guy. I mean, can we know that there is a God by witnessing the miracle of birth, by studying the intricate detail of the human body? Yes, we can know there is a God, but we can't know much about Him. But through the telescope of the Word of God, we can know this God that we serve. We can know everything He wants us to know. And so because of that, if we want to know God, we must devote ourselves to studying the Word, to knowing the Word, to diving deep into the Word. Not just knowing the bare minimum, but going back over and over and over again, looking through the telescope so that we can know more and more about God every single day. So number one, we study the Word so that we can know God. Number two, we study the Word so that we can know ourselves, so that you can know yourself. It was back in 2008, um, I received a special certificate. Um, Now, this was not a certificate that I received uh, for being smart or something or for being brave or for some kind of special accomplishment. In fact, I would say... I'll show it to you. This is a, um, my, I call it my um, certificate of stupidity. You ever received one of these? You know what that is? It's an x-ray. It's an x-ray. Back in 2008, I received my dummy award, my x-ray of my foot. Let me tell you how I, how I got this x-ray. Um, we had gone to a Redbirds game with our uh, Sunday school class at the church we were serving at the time. It was just before the 4th of July. They were going to do a fireworks show at the Redbirds game. And so I had this bright idea that how we were going to just beat traffic and we were going to get to see the, 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 the fireworks show and everything. And so about the eighth inning or so, I, I said to Kim, I said, hey, let's go on up to the car. Let's get in the car. We'll drive to the top of the parking garage. We'll have the perfect seat to watch the fireworks in the car, in the air conditioning of our car because it was a really hot night. And then as soon as the fireworks are over, we can just speed out of the garage. We'll beat all the traffic. We'll make it back to Arlington before anybody else is even out of the stadium. Sounded really good plan, right? And so eighth, eighth inning comes along. We start to walk out to the car. Well, then we get on the, 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 the elevator of the parking garage. We get up to our floor. The doors open. And um, this is where I really started to be dumb. As I, I, start, I, I decide I'm going to get in a foot race with my wife. And so we start running toward the car, and as I'm turning the corner right, right you know, to, to go to the door, the, the driver's side door of the car, I rolled my foot. I was wearing a pair of sandals. You never run in sandals, I've learned. 
And I rolled my foot and I felt this pop. And I immediately said, ah, you know. And Kim said, oh, you're just joking. You just don't want to lose the race, you know. And I'm like, no, I'm hurting, I'm hurting. And so she, we get in the car, we drive up to the garage, or the top of the garage. We watch about half the fireworks, and I tell her, I'm, we got to go. My foot is killing me. I mean, I'm feeling like this, this like feeling wash over my body, like the sickness. You know, I'm just sick at my stomach. My foot is throbbing. Um, she's like, just quit whining. You're okay, you know. And so finally I convince her. We drive home. We get home. I prop it up. It's, it's, it's starting to turn blue. Next day comes around. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's going to be okay. And so I sat in the recliner all day on the 4th of July watching the hot dog eating contest on ESPN. Um, Day three comes around. My foot is still killing me. It's just throbbing even more. And I decide, okay, it's time for me to go to the minor med. i got to go get an x-ray of this thing. And so I go to the minor med, and I walk in there. They x-ray my foot, and I begin to tell this story to the, the nurse that's in the room. And here am I explaining what has happened to me, and this nurse, she's laughing at me. I mean, she is just hysterically laughing at me. And then my, the other nurse in the room, who is my wife, is laughing at me too, um, and just thinking, how could you be so dumb as to do this, as to break your foot? Well, they bring back the x-ray, they pull it up, they pull that x-ray up, and they say, yep, right there, that's a break. Now I was, I had my back of my mind, oh, I just sprained my ankle, I just did something to my foot, it's, it's just going to be okay. I had a youth camp coming up the next week in the Ocoee, like the mountains area, so I'm like, I can't be, I can't have this hassle of having this boot on my foot, this, or this cast, this can't be, and they're like, nope, it's right there, there's a break. You're going to go get it cast and all that kind of stuff. Here was this x-ray that showed very clearly that there was something wrong with my foot. I couldn't see it on the outside. All I could see was black and blue, and I thought it's just a bruise. It'll go away like any other bruise does. But once they pulled up that x-ray, it showed me with clarity, there it is. There's your problem. There's the reward for your stupidity, Jeff. Right there. That's a lot how the Bible works. That just like an x-ray, it reveals the true condition of our hearts, the true condition of our souls. You know, if it were not for the Bible, I would probably think that I'm doing pretty well in life. I mean, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm a nice guy. I'm a good neighbor. I'm nice to my neighbors. I pay my taxes. Um, you know, I vote in elections. I don't break the law. I try not to look at my phone when I'm driving, especially when there's cops around, right? Um, I don't speed very often. I, I mean, I'm good to my wife. I'm good to my kids. I, I, I'm, I pay my bills on time. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I'm, I'm doing pretty well. I'm a good guy. I'm okay. I'm trying hard. I'm doing good. First John 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. As we open up the Word of God, I come to know God. But I also come to know myself. I come to see myself as God sees me, I come to see the sin in my heart, the selfishness, the pride, the weakness. Others can't see those things. I mean, you could have looked at my foot and you could have said, yeah, there's probably something wrong with it, but it's probably going to heal in a couple of days. You wouldn't have known it was broken. But, and others can't see the problems in my heart. But when I open the Word of God like an x-ray, it exposes those problems. It shows my sinfulness. It shows my failings. It shows me where I do not measure up to the Lord's standards. And that's exactly how God sees me. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so the Bible shows me who I truly am, not who I fooled myself into thinking that I am. 
But I, not only is the Word of God like an x-ray, I would also say it's like, a, it's like a scalpel, like a surgeon's scalpel. You know, Hebrews 4.12 says that the Word of God is living. It's active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God uses His Word to expose my sin and to cut away my sin, to remove it as I'm brought to the point of repentance, of confession and repentance and turn away from my sin, the Lord removes that sinfulness and replaces it with His holiness and His righteousness. And so I need the Word of God because it shows me who I am. It shows me who I ought to be like Jesus and it shows me who I am. And it shows me how I can get there. I need it so I can see myself as God sees me, a sinner saved by grace, who the Lord is making into His own image. I need to study the Word so I can know myself. Third, I need to study the Word regularly, devotedly, so that I can know right belief. I can know right belief. Um, I'm sure some of you have one of these somewhere in your house. Uh, Growing up, we always had one in the pantry. I don't know why it was always there, but it was always in the pantry. Now, what do you use these for? Spanking your kids, right? <laughs> no, no you use it to measure things, right? Whether it's this or a tape measure or a ruler or something of that sort, um, you use these things to measure. Now, I get made fun of a lot because whenever I'm trying to do something, I don't have a tape measure on me. I have some very um, weird ways of trying to measure things. Guys, have y'all ever done this? Have you ever walked up to something and said, I need to know how long this is? And walked around. And am I the only one that ever does that? Or I'll do, or I'll do this, and I'll, I'll measure it on my arm. And it, I, Kim makes fun of me all the time because she she knows it's not very accurate. That, I, that it doesn't work very well. I'll use my hands. I'll use my feet. I'll do other things just so I can save myself the trouble of going to the garage and getting a tape measure or something like that. Now, why do we need something like this? Because it defines an inch. Correct. I mean, if, I, if we didn't have rulers and tape measures and things, and I told you that something was six inches, you know, my six inches might be different from your six inches, right? But when it comes to this, it defines what an inch is. Every single ruler and tape measure and yardstick, if they're made correctly, are going to have the exact same length for an inch, correct? They're all going to be exactly the same. An inch is an inch, and the yardstick defines it. Here is why, what, what, why I feel like this relates to the Word of God. We need the Word of God. We need to know the Word of God because like a yardstick, this defines truth. It defines for us right belief. It defines for us right and wrong. It defines for us right theology. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. And so I need to study the Word of God so that I might know the truth, so that it might be established in my mind what the truth is. And as I do that, I begin to then think correctly. I begin to measure life correctly. I begin to think correctly about God, about myself, like we've already said. I begin to think correctly about man's need for salvation and Christ's ability to save. 
I begin to think correctly about the body of Christ, the church, and how we ought to live as a body of Christ, about morality, about holy living, about sin, about eternity, about things to come. It defines for me what I ought to believe. Just like an inch is not relative, truth is not relative. Right and wrong is not relative. Morality is not relative. It is defined right here in the Word of God. It is unchanging. And if I want to know that, I must study it day in, day out, intently. I must remain devoted to the Word so that I can know the truth. And lastly, I need to study the Word, be devoted to the Word so that I might know right action. So I might know right action. You know, when I turned 16, my parents gave me my first car. It was the hand-me-down 1991 Toyota Corolla. It was a fine car. It was a nice car. It got me from point A to point B well. And when I got that car, um, right about the same time or sometime shortly after, I got one of these things. Anybody got one of these in the back seat of your car? The Road Atlas. I, either, I always either had one of these or there was a spiral-bound one. Uh, that I would get every now and then that had like city maps and it showed you all the streets in, in, in Memphis and stuff. Now, for all the kids in the room, um, this is what we used before Google Maps. And the difficult thing was it did not talk to you. At least it wasn't supposed to. If it did, you probably had something going on. It, did, it didn't talk to you. And also, too, you couldn't tell it, give me the directions here. You had to actually find it yourself. Your finger had to do it. And then you know, had to know how to read the map and how to use the map, correct? I remember the first time that I really, really had to use it, you know, because as a, as a teenager, as a college student, even I didn't really make a lot of trips out of town. And, uh, but when we, Kim and I got married, we went on our honeymoon and we were driving down to Florida. We were going down Interstate 55 and we got off on some highway. I can't remember which one it was now, um, but we got off on some highway in Mississippi where we we're going to begin to head east, southeast toward Florida. And uh, we came up on this massive roadblock. Some trees had fallen down on the road. The road was going to be shut down for quite some time. And so um, out pulls the, the map book, right? And, and just like a bunch of explorers, it was Lewis and Clark finding our way to Florida. We start, start following our finger, figuring out how to get there. So we figure out, okay, we felt like, we really did feel like adventurers. I, I'm not joking. Um, as, we, as we found our way on this map, got back to the interstate, went down to this next little town, because we didn't know that part of the country. It wasn't like driving around Memphis where you just know where to go if you've been here for a long time. Um, we didn't know how to go. And so we had to use the map in order to find our destination, and we did. We made it there. We made it back safely. We need to study the Word of God so that we can know the way to live. So we can know right action. Just like a map, the Word gives us the right path of life. And we need to follow that map every day. You know, it's, life is such that we cannot guess our way into obedience. We don't stumble upon righteousness. We, don't, we do not happen upon God's will. If we want to live according to God's will, according to God's desire, we have to open the book and read it and learn it and receive the direction of it, and then we have to follow it. It would be one thing if I opened up that road map and I said, okay, here's the right way to go, but we're not going to go that way. We're just going to just feel it out. No, we wouldn't, we wouldn't get there. We wouldn't make it to where we needed to go. No, I have to open the map, and then I have to follow the map. I have to know how to read it, I know how to study it, and then I have to follow it. And Scripture promises that if we will do that, if we will open the map, and if we will read it, 
and we will follow it. Proverbs 2 verse 9 tells us this is the result. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil. You can walk by God's way, but to find it, you have to read God's Word and be devoted to knowing God's Word so that you can know the map and how to get there. I'll close with this. Near the end of what we think was the Apostle Paul's life, he finds himself in prison. Uh, he's writing a letter to Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. It's going to be on the screen. This is what he writes to Timothy. He says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Now those sound like the last words of a dying hero. A man who has fought the good fight. He has run the race. He has kept the faith. A man who knew the Word of God. A man who God spoke through powerfully. If ever there was a man who could coast in his last days, it would have been Paul. If ever there was a man who could have said, you know what, I think I know enough. I think I've read enough. I think I'm just going to rest. I'm just going to relax. I know, these, I know that I'm probably my life is about to end, and, and I, I, the, the, I'm gonna be, they're going to they're gonna kill me in this prison. I'm going to die here. This is what's going to happen. There's no hope for me. It might have been a point in which he would have said, you know what, I think I've, I'm just going to spend my last days in prayer and just, and just at peace, you know? But we read in 2 Timothy 4.13 these words. Paul's, some of his last words that we think he wrote. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. He wasn't done. His life might have been over, near over, but he was a man who still wanted to learn. The books and the parchments there were most likely copies of the Old Testament. They were the Scriptures. Here was maybe the most intelligent Christian to ever live. He penned the majority of the New Testament. He is about to die. At least he thinks he is. He's about to die. But yet, what does he ask Timothy to bring him? His Bible. Because I want to read it. Because I want to know it. I want to study it. He wasn't content. His mind wasn't done. His spirit wasn't done. He knew he had not arrived. He wanted to learn. Let me tell you, that's the devotion we have to have. That until our dying day, our eyes and our noses are in the Word of God. Reading it, absorbing it, studying it, so that we can then know God. So we can know ourselves. So we can know what to believe and we can know what to do. Have you committed yourself to knowing the Word of God that way? Have you committed yourself to studying the Word of God? I don't mean just reading it casually like you do the newspaper. I'm saying to study it. Have you committed yourself to sitting under the preaching of the Word, to sitting together with other believers and the teaching of the Word and, and, and seeking to know how to then apply that Word to your life? 
Just as that New Testament church was devoted to the Word of God, we must be devoted to the Word of God. Are you truly devoted to the Word? Would you pray with me? Father God, your Word is like a sword that pierces to our souls. It's like a telescope that helps us to know you like an x-ray that reveals our sinfulness, like a ruler that defines what we are to believe and what we are to know to be true. It is like a map and it gives us the way. I pray that we would be devoted to using the Bible, to, to receiving the Bible for what it is, the most powerful book we'll ever hold, the most life-changing book, the most useful book, the one book we cannot do without. I pray that for every individual here, that they would be committed, devoted to knowing the Word, to growing in their knowledge of the Word. And Father God, I pray that if there's someone here today who does not know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, I pray that today, because of the preaching of Your Word, they've come to understand that they don't know You that they don't know themselves, that they don't know what to believe and what to do. But all those answers can be found in you. And it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I pray if there's someone here today who needs to make that decision, that you would burden their heart, lead them to step out during this song of invitation, to come forward so we can talk together, we can pray together. If there's someone else who has a decision to make today, maybe it's for church membership, maybe someone needs to rededicate their life, pray that today would be that day where they would follow the prompting of your Holy Spirit and step out in obedience. And it's in Christ's name we do pray these things. Amen. You stand up as we sing in this song of invitation.